If you would, please open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, just simply um, raise up your hand. We'll make sure that you get a Bible. Um, if you don't own a Bible, simply keep the Bible as our gift to you, just so that you can continue to seek God and His Word and the life that comes through that. But where we are in our text this morning, we find ourselves in John chapter 15. And where we're looking at now is we went through and finished this chapter on Wednesday, but I want to focus on verses 26 and verse 27 this morning because we've, we've looked at it in a sense, the Holy Spirit, we've touched on him in these last few weeks, and we're going to look at him a little bit more um, when we come to Wednesday but I want to focus on really what um, John here portrays of the Holy Spirit in this text and what it means to us and what it means to our walks. And as we see this, it simply opens up this, John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus has been speaking in these last couple chapters of his leaving. John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there's many mansions. I go to prepare a place. And he says, but I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you to myself. But he talks about his leaving and going back to the Father. And as we looked on Wednesday, we, we understood that Jesus spoke after he said, I'm going to leave you. He says in verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He talked about the hatred of the world and the persecution that would come because we are followers of Christ. And so he, he makes that statement. He says, listen, the only reason they hate you is because they hated me first. And because we are followers of Christ, the world is going to hate us. Now, when he says, I'm leaving you, and he says, and I'm going to leave you here in the midst of hatred and persecution, the question is, is oh my goodness, how can we face these things alone? How can we go through these things? And, and, and as we, we looked on Wednesday, we actually looked at a couple of instances in the scriptures in the Old Testament where those who God had chosen, those who were followers of God, were hated by those who were not. We saw how Cain, he rose up and he killed his brother Abel. We saw how Saul, the first king of Israel, would persecute David because David was chosen by God. We saw there where Saul of Tarsus would persecute the church because the church was what? They were separate. They were distinct. But they, they worshiped God. Not, not the law, but they were they're following God in grace. And it's an amazing thing. And I want you to make a note here that, that Cain hated Abel Abel didn't hate Cain. Abel walked with God. Cain hated Abel. Make another note. Saul, the first king of Israel, he hated David. David didn't hate Saul. Matter of fact, he went to minister to Saul. 
His followers wanted David to hate him, but David said, well, he's the Lord's anointed, I can't. I'm going to give him to God. And instant, instant, you know, in the same way that, that Saul, he hated the church before he became Paul the apostle. And he breathed vehement threats against the church. And it's intriguing that he hated the church, yet the church feared, the church feared Saul, but they didn't hate Saul. We recognize that the scripture where Ananias came said, what brother Saul received your sight. Do you understand when it came to the, the, the relationship of the believers and the world, the world hated the believers, the believers did not hate. And so understand that Jesus speaks about, listen, you are going to be hated. You are going to face persecution. And, but note this, what Jesus is teaching is this. We are not alone. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father. You're going to be here in the midst of persecution. You're going to be here in a place of hatred where they're going to hate you for no reason other than your mind. You stand out. You're in the light. They're in the darkness. They hate the light. And we see here that amazingly what Jesus begins to say is, you're not alone. Look at what the text says, when the helper comes. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be alone in this battle. I'm sending another like me. It's unique. A couple of passages that we've been covering here the last few weeks. I want you to look at John 14. And, and, and take a look here at verse 16 and 17. He says, and I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper, the same word, one who's going to come alongside and help, that he may abide with you forever. You understand? I'm leaving. He's coming, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are not alone in this battle. I'm going to be sending another like me. And then he says in John 14, verse 26, but the helper, again, same phrase, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I've said to you. Understand, the Holy Spirit is going to do two things. He's going to instruct, he's going to give you new data, or he's going to reveal old data to you that you haven't known, and then he's going to bring back what? The words of Christ. It's always about coming back to his truth, his heart, his purposes, as we look to this, I just love the heart of God because this is what he's declaring. I have a plan for you. And although I'm going and I'm leaving you in the midst of this hatred and persecution, you have to understand that, that you are not going to be alone in this battle. And I think it's important to recognize that, yes, there is going to be a battle, but for the believer... The battle is not really physical. For the believer here, keep in mind that what it says in John 16, and we'll be looking at this on Wednesday, verse 7 makes this declaration. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Do you understand? He says, we have an advantage. We have an advantage. Why? It's important that we fight a spiritual battle with God, the Spirit. Did you recognize? It's one of those things where we're here. There's a battle going on. We're fighting the battle with what? With God, the Spirit. And what do they have? 
They don't have the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit of God. We have literally God who created everything by speaking it into existence, the very power of God. We have him on our side. So when it comes to this battle, keep in mind, we are what? We're fighting from victory, not for victory. And I love what the Lord does. Don't turn there, but maybe jot it down if you're a note taker. There's a passage at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 19, where, where Jesus says this, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as he does so, what he does is he's putting them all on an equal level. He makes a statement that there's an equality with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because as he does this, he says, baptize them in the name of, not the names of. Do you understand? The singularity, purpose, the singularity of the character of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit being one. And I love the fact as Jesus comes and he makes this understanding that here he says, you have to understand the Holy Spirit is equal to God. But here in our text, I want you to understand where it says in John 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, it says this, whom I shall send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. It's interesting that as we take a look at this, there's two aspects that declare the twofold coming of the Holy Spirit. One is this. The first, Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I shall send. Do you understand? Jesus is making this one thing that he's distinct from the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 16, he says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. So Jesus prays, the Father sends. And so Jesus says, I'm sending him to you. I'm the one who, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you orphans. When I leave, I'm going to send you one who is like me, but independent of me. And this is important to recognize with the Holy Spirit. And then he says the second part where he says, but when the helper, verse 26 of our text, comes, whom I shall send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. So understand, one, Jesus says, I'm sending him. He's separate and distinct. And then he proceeds from the Father. So keep in mind that, again, he shows that not only is he separate and distinct from the Son, but he's separate and distinct from what? From the Father. So keep in mind that the Spirit is not just this radio beam or thought process that God has. The Spirit is an individual, and he is an individual equal with the Father and the Son. Why Jesus said, baptize them in the name, singularity of the character of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is one with God, but he is independent from both the Father and the Son. And as it makes a statement, he's going to proceed from the Father, that he's going to independently choose to go forth. So you have to understand that the Holy Spirit is a distinct and unique individual who is at the same time equal in power and authority 
and in all other attributes with God the Father and God the Son. And this is important for us to note because when it comes to the spiritual battle, what? You have God the Spirit. He's now fighting on your behalf. He's now moving on your behalf. And as we recognize that the relationship that we are going to have with the Spirit is going to be what? He says, it's going to be another like me. I'm going to send you one like me, someone who's like me. And keep in mind that in John 15, verse 15, he made that statement, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. Do you understand that as the Spirit reveals to you the will of God, the heart of God, he doesn't keep you in secret. He says, I'm revealing these things to you. What does it mean? He's a friend. Is that same relationship that we have with the Son is what we have now with the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be a friendship. And so, so keep in mind that we recognize that there is going to be a way to fight the evil that is in the world. But I want you to recognize when it comes to that battle, if you're fast, if you're good, you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If not, simply just jot it down. But I want to share with you a, a passage, a couple of verses here, so that you can really understand what this battle is and what this battle is not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, and I'm going to read from verses 3 through 7, it makes this statement. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So we're here. We're in the flesh, but we don't battle in the flesh. We don't battle the way the world does. For the weapons, verse 4, of our warfare are not carnal. You understand? They're not physical in the sense, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, this is where it is. We have this ability to fight this spiritual battle. And within this battle, we recognize that it's not the way the world fights the battle. We fight it in a whole different way. Why is that? Well, it says here, after he says in verse 5, the casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. But now I want you to notice here where it says in verse 6. And verse 6 is where it's key because some people read the first part of verse 6, but they kind of hedge on the second part. They're already in the first part of verse 6 as being ready to punish all disobedience. Oh, we love that verse. I love, I'm ready as a Marine, bring it on. I'm ready to punish all disobedience. And I'll tell you what, I can point out disobedience a mile away. I know disobedience in this brother. I know disobedience in that sister. And I know the disobedience of the world. I know disobedience. Why? I see it every time I look in the mirror. But what happens is this. Notice what it says after this. And this is where it's key. He says in verse 6, being ready to punish all disobedience when? Oh, so being ready to punish all disobedience, it's the second part. Well, what's the first part? Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience 
is fulfilled. Oh my goodness, what about that? You mean I got to deal with the plank that is in my own eye and then I'll see clearly to wash the speck out of my brother's eye? Who would say something like that other than Jesus Christ? And this is the key. I think it's important that, that when we deal with those aspects in our own heart, when we deal with the true enemy of our souls is what it's sin in me. This is what I need to deal with. I need to deal with the sin. And, and so often what happens is this. We are fighting a spiritual battle, but the battle that we're fighting is sin. And it makes this statement, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you not, do you look at things according, no, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? No, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ's. Do you understand, as Christ has forgiven me my sins, guess what? He's forgiven you your sins. Do you understand that when he went on the cross, he made this statement, it is finished. Not it started, not, not I've done my part, you do your part. He simply said, it's finished. This is my work. This is what I've done. And so he makes this statement. You have to understand that Christ has already done it. As you are Christ, they are Christ. And this is where the weapons of our warfare, they're not like the world. The world wants to do everything it can to tear you down and to destroy you. And what does the world say? Well, the world says, you're already torn down. You're already destroyed. You're already dead in your trespass and sin. I've come to do what? I've come to give you life. This is the difference between the world and what Christians should be, where the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. It's amazing to see what the battle looks like when we, as Christians, see when things come against us, like the world, the persecution, the hatred. I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Very middle of your Bible, you're going to find the book of Psalms. And when you go to the book of Psalms, kind of go to the middle of the Psalms and find Psalm 91. And in Psalm 91, it literally talks about how to have victory in these battles. Now, when it comes to these battles, this is what it says, Psalm 91. And I'm going to read through this psalm so that you don't think that I'm picking and choosing verses so you can understand the fullness of what it teaches. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You know what it says? Hang out with God. That's it. All you do is you dwell in the secret place of the Most High. You dwell in His heart. You dwell in His mind. You dwell in His will. And then it says this in verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the Father. Do you understand? Here's a battle going on. What am I doing? I'm hiding in God. 
He's fighting the battle. Do you recognize this truth? It's so amazing to recognize that I'm not here wielding swords and axes. I'm here hiding in God. I'm here hiding in his word. I'm saying, God, deal with my heart. You, you battle these things. And so it says in verse 3, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare and the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You understand? His truth is going to be your protection. So when the world says you're this and you're that and you're not following the way the world does things, that the shield is what? Well, is it better to obey man or God? Let him judge. I know it's better to obey God. I know that me and my walk, I need to follow what God shows me. And so he says in verse 5, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, or nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand shall fall by your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. You understand? You're hiding out with God and he battles. This is it. This is the victory. Our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And it says, they're going to fall. Thousands are going to fall. There's going to be a victory because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Verse 10, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra and the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. In other words, you're just walking where you're walking and, and, and you are walking that victory of God. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. This is God speaking. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Do you understand the battle that we're here to fight? Do you understand the battle that God says? The battle that the world does is what? The world hates and the world wants to kill. Cain killed Abel. Saul wanted to kill David. Saul of Tarsus wanted to kill the church. He persecuted the church. It wasn't the opposite way around. And I think it's so important to, to see what happens because in this text where we are reading here, Jesus is going to give two designations of this champion who fights along with us, literally who fights for us. And it says this, verse 26 of John 15, but when the helper comes, he calls him the helper, that's the first thing, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, the second thing. I want to focus on these two things. Now note this, he calls the Holy Spirit the helper, he also calls him the spirit of truth. Why are those two things necessary in this battle? Because keep in mind, context is everything, right? The, the disciples, Jesus says, I'm leaving you, 
And I'm going to leave you here in the midst of hatred and persecution, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with someone who's like me, as powerful as me. He's God the Spirit, and what he's going to do is this. He's going to champion your cause as you walk in the cause of God. And so he gives him two designations to this spiritual champion that we have. He calls him the helper, and he calls him the spirit of truth. Now, he says, the helper whom I will send. That helper is, the, the word is um, paracletus, it's one who comes alongside. And as you, you would recognize, it simply says, okay, I'm walking here. He's coming alongside me. He's going to be the one who does the work. And so we recognize that as he comes alongside, it's not just to, for him to render aid in the midst of our weakness. So, so keep in mind that, that, you know, we do recognize that he is going to be the protector. He is going to be that thing. But he's not here just to be the shield. He's also here to what? To be the sword. He is going to be not just one who says, I'm going to protect you. But he says this, I'm going to be the one that gives you victory. This is amazing, saints, to realize that when the world comes against, we have a victory. The victory is in the Holy Spirit. Yes, victory. Now, I recognize that a lot of you are thinking like Matthew 10, 16, that he sends us out as sheep among wolves. And that is so true. But keep in mind that we do understand that Romans 8, 37 says, what well, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So yes, we're there as sheep among the wolves, but what do we have? We have the Holy Spirit with us. And because the Holy Spirit is with us, what? We are more than conquerors. What can wolves do to God? Think about that. Nothing. All the world wants to do can do nothing unless God says, I'm going to allow this to happen. And so amazingly, we see that, yes, he's our helper. The helper is not just one, keep in mind, to render a little aid. He's here to ensure the victory. Make a note of that when you recognize that he says, when the helper comes, he who comes alongside, he's going to be the one to give you victory. But he also calls him the spirit of truth. Now, this is something I want to spend a little bit of time on this morning because the, the spirit of, of light, as he says, the spirit of truth is going to be two things. One, it is both the light and a sword. And let me explain what I mean by this truth being both light and a sword. Yes, it's a weapon, but it's, it's light. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll keep in mind that the, the word of God becomes this, this light unto our feet, the lamp unto our path, and we recognize that that's what it is. But no man, no man by any amount of study, by any amount of, of, of just saying, I'm going to look through the scriptures and, and in my own reason, my own intelligence, can we truly comprehend the extensive and the amazing truth that God reveals of himself in the scriptures. You have to understand that you and I can't fathom the, the amazing God as he reveals himself in scripture unless, unless what? Unless the Holy Spirit illuminates your mind. Unless the Holy Spirit illuminates your heart. When the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates your mind, then you see Christ. 
then you're in awe of God. Then you begin to recognize what it is. And so only by the intervention and guiding of the Holy Spirit can you and I truly understand God as he's revealed in Scripture. So keep in mind that that God, through the divine revelation of the Holy Spirit, is going to open our minds to what the Scripture calls the mysteries of truth. And he's going to allow us simply to discern what is truly, truly vital for our salvation and our walk with God. How do we know what's so important for our salvation? How do we know these things? The Spirit is going to reveal the perfect revelation of God in his love and in his holiness. We don't understand all of what it is. And so as the Spirit reveals these things, the Spirit is going to show God not only in his love and holiness, but also in his righteousness and truth. He's going to reveal God in his grace. As he reveals all those things about God in his love and in his grace, he's also going to reveal what? He's going to reveal man in his sinful nature. He's going to show man as an enemy of God. He's going to show what man is like on his own apart from what? Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the working of the word. And the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the plan of salvation. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal there's only one road to God, and everyone must come through that road. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And as the scripture reveals this incredible thing about God becoming incarnate, God becoming a man, this man becoming a servant to men, becoming a leader of men, healing the blind, healing the lame, raising the dead, all these things, evidence that the Spirit of God is on him. He says, listen, if you can either believe me or believe me for the work's sake, for the works testify that the Father sent me. All these things are true. And we recognize that God became a man. And, and then we see here through the scriptures when the Holy Spirit opens our minds and our hearts, it reveals the victory of the death of Jesus Christ. It reveals the victory of his sacrifice which conquered the true enemy of man. There are enemies of men. Yes, there are. There are Cain's and Saul's. They're all over the place. They hate you because, listen, they want to persecute you because you're different than they are. You're standing on a code in the, in the light, and they don't like that. They don't like the fact that you don't celebrate sin, and we don't do that. But what happens is this. There is an enemy that's greater than men, sin. And sin is what brought death. And so this word now becomes our guide. The word becomes this beautiful thing where it becomes that lamp unto your feet. It becomes the light unto the path. And not only is this word a light which illuminates everything of God. He is the spirit of truth. He speaks these things that you and I can now see the scriptures through the lens of the one who created it. In other words, it's sort of like a secret code where if you look at the paper, you don't, it's all jumble until what? You put the code over it, you put a lens over it, then you can see clearly. And that's what God does. When you see the scriptures through the lens of the Holy Spirit, you're now able to discern the things of the Spirit. Outside of that, you can't. 
But understand, not only is the spirit of truth light, but the spirit of truth is also a sword. But I want to spend a little bit of time on this because too many people use the scriptures of truth as a weapon, as a weapon to denounce and to condemn the things that we want to condemn. And how many times do we look and we use the scriptures to demonize people? We use the scriptures to demonize this group or that group. We use the scriptures to demonize and to condemn those in the world that are in sin. They're lost. And we can use the scriptures and you can choose to use the scriptures and to validate a hatred of anyone you choose. I'll tell you, you can. It's been done. People hate this group, and they hate that group, and they hate these things, and they, and they always use Scripture as a validation for their hate. They use the Scriptures, in a sense, to target their enemies, and there are tons of passages to model your hatred after. But keep in mind that what God says is our relationship with the world. Keep in mind that the people search out Scriptures not that they can have life in themselves, that, that God is taking away sin and putting in his spirit. They don't use search the scriptures to find life. They use the scriptures to find ammunition. I want to use this scripture so I can make this person do this. There's, there's one thing that, that comes to my head almost all the time when I deal with marital counseling is the husband looks at the wife and, and tells me, listen, she doesn't submit to me as unto the Lord. And she says, well, he doesn't love me as Christ loves the church. And they always point out what? This is your role. What about looking at my role? This is what it should be. They use scripture as ammunition to say you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But remember here what we already learned in 2 Corinthians 10. Listen, you can use it as a battle when what? When it's done with me first. When I use the scripture to deal with the planks in my own eye, then I can see clearly. And so what happens is this, that people are using the scriptures to say, I want to find ammunition. I'm going to find ammunition that I can now attack this group and find ammunition that I can now condemn this group and I can condemn that behavior. Keep in mind, those behaviors are condemned in Scripture, but they're not designed for us to use it as ammunition so that we can hate. And this is the problem. I want you to recognize, and I'm going to turn to the book of Jude. If you're fast, you can turn there. It's, it's, you go to Revelation, back of a book, you're going to find yourself in Jude. It's only one chapter, so you'd have to really look for it hard. But I want to share with you a passage on how the world sees the church, and sometimes has the church sees the church, but, but we don't see the fullness of what the passage actually teaches. Sort of like when we were there in 2 Corinthians, we saw that whole point where we love that aspect of coming out and says, listen, I don't mind being ready to punish all disobedience. But then it says, when your obedience is fulfilled. Here in the book of Jude, I want to read verses 14 through 25, just so you can follow through this passage. It says this, now Enoch, Jude 14, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying behold the lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all 
to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and that all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers and complainers walking according to their own lust and they mouth great swelling words flattering people to gain advantage. You understand that we sometimes as Christians think of ourselves as Enoch's and we literally want to condemn. We want to say we're going to execute judgment on all. We're going to convict those who are ungodly of all their ungodly sins and all their ungodly thoughts and all their ungodly deeds. But notice what he says. He says the Lord comes. The Lord comes with 10,000 of the saints. And then he makes this statement. After he says that the Lord is going to execute judgment on all, in verse 17, he moves from Enoch and Enoch's proclamation to what? Notice verse 17 of Jude, but you beloved. <laughs> Do you understand? Enoch did this, Old Testament, but you beloved, New Testament. Do you realize the difference? See, we think that we're Enoch's ready to condemn the sins of the world. And yet Jude teaches us in verse 17, but you, beloved, puts us in a whole nother category. Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own God, ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith. You understand? He says, he doesn't change. There are mockers. There are people who are going to persecute. They're following their ungodly lust, which you did too before you were saved, before the spirit of God came in you. You were led by your own lust. But he says in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Do you understand what he says? The world is going to hate, but you need to be different. You need to be wrapping yourselves in God, using him as your hiding place, using him as your shield, and then keeping yourselves, literally praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God and looking this is so amazing, verse 21, looking for the mercy. Keep myself in the love and say, God, don't give me what I deserve. That's what mercy is. You deserve this, you're not going to get it. And amazingly, that we who are Christians, we so often want to do what? We want to deal with the specks that are in other people's eyes. We want to condemn them, and I'm going to use scripture to condemn them. And I'll be honest with you. There are all kinds of people who can use scriptures and legit scriptures. But what happens is this. They use the scriptures as ammunition so that it allows them to hate. I want to hate this group and I want to condemn that group and I want to condemn this action. And granted, the scripture does. What the scripture does more than anything is this. The scripture says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to use the scriptures for you. Do you understand? You to use the scriptures to you. Because where, where Jude says the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. He's actually saying something that's going to happen in the next book in Revelation chapter 19. And I want to read to you just a couple of verses about the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. 
it makes this statement. Let me read it to you. Revelation 19. I want to read verses 14 and 15. And it, it makes this statement. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So here we are. We're the armies of heaven riding with our Savior. And he puts us on white horses, conquering horses. And then he says this, verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath of almighty God. Do you recognize? And I love this passage because the Lord comes with 10,000 of saying, we're here to battle. God says, actually, you're here to witness. You're here to witness me because the battle is the Lord's. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Jesus, I didn't come to judge. I came to give life. And it's so amazing that we as Christians, what do we do? We've come to judge. I've come to be Enoch. I've come to be that that's going to simply condemn all unrighteousness. And I'm going to look to that. And I'm going to just ready to punish all disobedience. And I will use the word of God to do so. I will find words of God that will be against same-sex marriage. I will find words and I will condemn them and I will hate them. And what does God say? That's not your place. It's wrong. But let me be the one to fight. Let my word be the one to do the work. And this is what we begin to see. Because when we look to what the sword is, what the sword is truly supposed to be, jot this passage down, look it up later, grab a hold of it. But in Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 12, it makes this statement. You guys know that passage as I quote. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you understand? The spirit of truth is a sword. And this word of God, this word of truth is living. It is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of what? The soul and the spirit. Do you understand where this weapon is? Not to hack off ears. It's not to hack off limbs. It's not to hack up people. It's to divide between the soul and the spirit. And it says this, even to the division of the soul and the spirit, to the joints and the marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden. Do you understand that what this word does is it simply says, I'm going to deal not with the outward. I'm going to start dealing with the heart. And that's what the word of God is supposed to do, which is why Jesus so wonderfully, there in the book of Matthew, he said, listen, you've heard it said. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I'm saying, if in your heart you begin to have emotions, you begin to lust, you've already done the act. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I'm telling you, if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you've already murdered. Do you understand? He says, it's not an outward thing. It's an inward heart. And our heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? And so often we're wanting to do what? We're wanting to see the word of God so I can condemn someone else. You know what the word of God really does? It condemns my heart. It condemns my flesh. And I need to go before God and I say to God, I, I don't need to deal with the specks that are in their eyes. I need to deal with the planks that are in mine. Would you help me, Lord, first and foremost, that when my obedience is fulfilled, let me be the one to walk according to your will. Let me be the one to walk in your love. Because keep in mind that we see that the word of God 
sees sin as the enemy. That's where the word of God says, and it sees what? It sees Christ as the victory. So what do I want to do? When I see the enemy conquering the world, what do I want to do? I want to give him victory. Where's the victory? It's in Christ. I want to give this lost and dying world Christ. And when I give the lost and dying world Christ, guess what's going to happen? They're going to hate me. And they're going to persecute me. But I still want to, in love, I want to give them Christ. Keep in mind, Scripture tells us what? Hate sin, but love the sinner. See, our, our issue is we use the Scripture's ammunition and hatred to hate the sinner. And God says, no, use it to hate sin, but love the sinner. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And this is important to recognize that if we're going to be like him, we have to understand that we hate sin. We love the sinner. The battle is, the scripture teaches, is how to have victory over sin in my own life. And then when I walk that out, people are going to say, what are you doing different? Well, to be honest with you, this is what I'm doing. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. I'm just letting him be my helper. I'm letting him be the spirit of truth. As he illuminates God's heart and his will for my life, I'm walking it. I'm following it. And he's going to be the one to just bring me through this. And I know that he's going to be victorious. And this is why we begin to see in our text, and it's so important to recognize where here, I know Verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And it's amazing that the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the greatest victory that he does is not to destroy, it's to testify of Jesus Christ. Amazing. Testify of Jesus Christ. Testify of who he is. Testify of what he's done. He will testify of me. And then he says this in verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And those who are with him, he said what? The Holy Spirit is with you and he's going to be in you. Later on, he's going to breathe. He's going to just, just receive the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come in you, and then the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And this is where we begin to see an incredible reality. I want you to understand when he talks about here at the end of verse 26 to the beginning of verse 27, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness. He's going to tell people of me, and you will tell people of me. This is incredible. Think about this. I want you to just ponder this for just a second. Think of the reality of these 11 men that he's speaking to. Think of their reality for just a moment. He says, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you in the midst of people who are going to hate you and persecute you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. And what happened is this. There was such an incredible fear from these men between the crucifixion and the resurrection. For three days, they did what? They trembled and they locked themselves in an upper room. And he says, I'm here to give you victory. And they were terrified. These men were absolutely terrified, hiding out, not going anywhere. And the fear of them, and then when Jesus showed himself, here I am, guess what? They still kind of wandered around without a purpose. 
I want to just take you to one passage here at the very end of the gospel of John. I want to share with you chapter 27, verse 3. Peter does this. Notice what he does. Jesus has already shown himself to him. And after it says, verse 1 of John 21, after these things, Jesus showed him again to the disciples. But it says this in verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. Then they went out and immediately got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. What's their purpose? You understand, Jesus just went to the cross, and, and he, these guys that were already confused now with what's going to happen, they were already beginning to be terrified. Once Jesus died, they were completely terrified, and now they're aimless. Now they don't know their purpose. And then, then guess what happened? See, it wasn't them knowing Jesus walking with Jesus for three and a half years. It wasn't listening to his teachings. It wasn't seeing his resurrected person. That wasn't it. They were still aimless, still without purpose until what? Pentecost, until Acts chapter two. And in Acts chapter two, these here average ordinary fishermen became spiritual giants. Do you understood what happened? In Acts chapter 2, it was Pentecost. It was literally Pentecost. And here were the disciples who said, listen, you've got to understand, they were hoping that you would redeem Israel. They were arguing among themselves who would be the greatest. Jesus would say, listen, I'm going to die. And they'd scratch their yarmulke saying, what? You can't be, not you. And amazingly, everything that was happening, that everything in the gospel shows these men as what? Confused average, kind of like an asterisk until what? Until Pentecost. When Pentecost came, it says this, when, when the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, had fully come, they were, with one, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came the sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. You understand? Here they're hated, they're persecuted, they're hiding out, they're, they're aimless, they're purposeless until this happens. When this happens, now these average men become Davids, ready to take on any Goliath. It's like, who is this? What is that? I'm just going to pronounce this. And this is what they begin to do. And so as they now leave the upper room, as they leave this room, all of a sudden, others were just mocking them. They come outside and they're talking and they're being mocked at. They're being teased. And it says in, in Acts 2.13, others were mocking that they're full of new wine. And all of a sudden, Peter says, let me tell you truth. Let me tell you truth. And so what he does is he quotes from Joel. He says in verse 16, this is what was spoken about in the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Do you understand the incredible thing? Although they were loved by Jesus, taught by Jesus, walked with Jesus, were there and Jesus came to them after he died. 
They were still without purpose. They were still blameless until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? That is what transformed them. And that, brothers and sisters, is going to transform you. If you're saying, I'm hanging out with Jesus, I love Jesus, I'm listening to his words. But understand, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, if you haven't received this helper that Jesus, I'm sending him to you, that he's going to be the victory. But what he's going to do is this. He's going to teach you all the things that I've said. And the things that I'm telling you about is there is a greater victory than Rome. There is a greater victory than, than, than Egypt. There's a greater victory than the world. The victory is sin in you. Where Jesus Christ becomes what? He becomes the hope of glory. He becomes the life that's in us. And this is where these average men are going to become spiritual giants. They're going to have a greater boldness, a greater understanding. Peter is going to have these things and say, listen, men and brother, I'm going to tell you this scripture and how this applies to Jesus and this and how this applies to Jesus. And all these things, it's almost as he knew the book of Hebrews where all these things were written of me, Jesus would say. And he was able to take the scriptures that the they looked at before and didn't understand. And now he was illuminated and now he was empowered. And now when he spoke, he spoke with authority. And it's absolutely amazing to see that what begins to happen is this. All these men are there hearing the word of God. And then something amazing happens. At the end of Peter speaking, about 3,000 people receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You understand they didn't pull out swords. They didn't pull out clubs. They didn't pull out knives. He opened the scripture. But what he first did was allow the Holy Spirit to purify him. Do you understand? The divided tongues of fire purify me. And, and as they were in one place, as they were looking to the Lord, as they were dealing with their own heart, then God says, now come and testify of me. And he goes out and his weapon is this. His weapon is proclaiming Jesus Christ to the world that was mocking him and hating him. And that weapon became victory. The victory was this. Not that everyone bowed down, but that 3,000 people were added. Some plant, some water, God brings the increase. And when we recognize this truth, it's so amazing to see that now we grasp sort of what Jesus was saying there in Philippians 3.10, where he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I want to know the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit power in me. That's going to give me purpose. That's going to give me direction. And that's going to change how I look at the world. Because the Holy Spirit is going to deal with what? The sin that is in me. And no longer am I going to use scripture as ammunition, use scripture to justify hate. Because the world will hate us because the world is defined by their hatred. Guess how the Christian is defined? By their love. Do you understand the difference, saints? The world is supposed to hate because that's all it does. It's in darkness. It's dead. It needs to hate because what? It's God hates. Satan hates but we're called to walk in the light. We're called to walk in the love of God. And if we can portray what? The fact that God loves them. They're, they're not right in what they do. We don't accept and say, yeah, what you're doing, your behaviors are right. We don't do that. But understand, we don't use scripture as ammunition. We use what? We give them Jesus. This is our heart. This is what we should be doing. May that be who we are, because when the Holy Spirit comes, who he sends, 
the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he's going to testify of me. And when he testify of me, he's in us, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me. And this is my gift to you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. May we be those who walk in this glorious truth of life and not walk in the condemnation of hatred and death. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that you are truly, truly the helper, that you have come alongside not to give aid but to give victory, and you are the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth that becomes light and illuminates the path to you, Jesus, your incredible work. You're, you're, you're coming as God in the flesh and then dying for our sins and to know that that cross, that incredible cross, your sacrifice now cleanses us from all, all unrighteousness. That's your work. And you want to continue that sanctification process. Teach us, Lord. Teach us to do the work. Let your spirit work in us. Let your spirit work in us. Forgive us, Lord, when we use your scriptures as ammunition to condemn and to justify hatred, that we use your scriptures to try to control other people. May we use your word to just deal with our own hearts. Oh, God, teach us to love. Teach us, I mean, hate sin, yes, but love the sinner. Allow the world to see that we are different that they may think that there's not a whole lot about us, but that we have been with you, Jesus. Let the world see this in us as we love them, as we seek to portray that Jesus Christ, you are the answer, you are the truth, you are the way, you are the life. No man comes to the Father but by you. Give us the power to become more than ordinary, the boldness to speak forth your truth as you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And so, Father, as we're here in this room, we're asking, Lord, for a fresh outpouring of your spirit. Touch us, fill us, use us for your kingdom to further your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen. amen.